This morning, I want to jump out of uh, the Gospel of Luke, and I want us to turn our attention to Philippians chapter number 2. I want to be in uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 11 this morning. Could have stayed in Luke, but I just figured we're going to be there for a while anyway, and this give me an excuse to kind of deviate from the, from the passage. Luke chapter number 2, very familiar passage. But I want us to jump in and look at it with fresh eyes this morning. Luke chapter number two, verse number one declares, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And, and being found in a human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue that and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Uh, just for a few moments, I, I'm, I'm going to try not to hold you long this morning. I want to preach from a very simple subject title. I want to talk about the meaning of the manger. The meaning of the manger. Let me pray for us. Father, it is uh, really hard to believe that we are already uh, at Christmas. Um, it's hard to believe that... Um, we're at the end of this year. Um, Christmas is a great season. It is a phenomenal time for us to be with family, to be with friends, uh, to have some time off from work. God, but I pray that we would not waste this season. I pray, God, that we would not waste this time. God, I pray, God, as we even get ready for a new year, as we get ready to transition into 2020, God, I pray that you would use this season to prepare our hearts for greater in 2020, that you would use this season to prepare our hearts for more ministry, God, for greater obedience, for greater service to you. God, that's our prayer, that we would not just get through another message, that we would not just rush to the holiday, God, or rush through the holiday, God, but I pray that you would use this season to prepare our hearts. And in doing so, God, allow us to see the true meaning of the manger. God, we are thankful for that baby that was born, but we're also thankful for the man who lived, for the man who died, for the man who was raised again, and for the man who now lives in our hearts. God, help us to see that, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there are several things you can count on seeing during the Christmas season. Uh, without a doubt, you can count on seeing houses covered up with Christmas lights, 
Uh, you can count on highways covered up with Christmas traffic. Uh, you can count on malls being covered up with Christmas shoppers. You can even count on fields being covered up with Christmas trees. And you can definitely count on kids being covered up with Christmas gifts. Uh, because of our culture, Christmas has the tendency to cover things up. And as we celebrate Christmas this year, I want us to take a few moments and I want us to carefully consider how you and I are able to protect Christmas so that Christmas does not lead us to cover up Christ. Uh, there are so many good distractions during this time of year. I want you to hear me say that again. There are so many good distractions, not necessarily bad distractions. There are good distractions during this time of year. And if we're not careful, we would allow really good things to get in the way of godly things. We'll allow really good things to distract us from what God wants us to see, what God wants us to hear, and what God wants us to experience. The Christmas lights, good things. The Christmas traffic, good things. The Christmas shoppers, potentially a good thing. The Christmas trees, the Christmas toys, those are all good things. But those things are so prevalent in our culture that if we are not careful, we will allow the enemy to distract us to the point that we allow our culture to cover up Christ. We don't want to allow the culture, the, 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 the festive holiday things that we enjoy to, to get us to a place where we are covering up Jesus. So as I prayed this morning, I really believe that we, we, need, we needed a word this morning that would challenge us to uncover Christ this Christmas. One that would help us see the true meaning of the manger. It's amazing to know that the earliest celebrations of the birth of Jesus date back to around 300 years after his death. It was because of his death that uh, the birth of, of Christ uh, was celebrated as a holiday tr tradition across the world. Uh, for me, it's quite amazing that over uh, the next coming days, billions of people, catch this, billions of people will stop everything that they're doing. Billions of people will stop everything that they're doing because they want to celebrate the son of a carpenter that was born in a poor town, that was born to parents uh, who were poor, a teenage girl and a young man who was not even his biological father. Billions of people will celebrate this. Even though he never wrote a book, even though he never spoke to a crowd outside of his country, even though, catch this, Jesus never uh, left 30 miles from the place he was born. And although he did not necessarily do things that we would consider to be significant uh, based upon how we measure things, it is true that 24 hours every day, seven days a week, there are millions of people who can be found studying what he has said. Every day, millions of people will be found reading his words that he spoke. Every day, millions of people will be found worshiping him because he is God. I want to say this very clear. There is more uh, to the Christmas story than just the baby in the manger. There is more to the glory of Christmas than just the story of Christmas. The Christmas story is just the beginning of a round trip that Jesus took from heaven to earth and back to heaven, and we know that Jesus is coming back again. I love our passage this morning because it gives us a broader picture of the manger. Uh, as a biblical writer, the Apostle Paul, who wrote Philippians 2, explicitly talks about, he does not explicitly talk about the birth of Christ. 
uh, unlike the other disciples, he never met Jesus uh, while he was living in his uh, ministry uh, on the earth. He did meet the risen, ascended Jesus when Christ revealed himself to him on the, uh, at the, uh, in the book of Acts. As we study the scripture this morning, we're going to see that it is very easy for all of us to miss something every single year. We can be so focused on the baby in the cradle. We can be so fascinated by the baby in the room. Even as I was, I'm a humble brag, even as I was walking in to the sanctuary, little Ileana blew me a kiss. It blessed my heart. And even now, it's easy for me to, to just focus on the baby in the room. But that's just the beginning of the story. We also need to consider the middle of the story, where the baby in the cradle becomes the Savior on the cross. But we also need to see that the story continues from the Savior on the cross to now Jesus being uh, the king on the throne. Christmas is more than a season or a day a year, but it reveals to us the reason, catch us, why we should put our focus on Jesus. It reveals to us why We should place our faith in Jesus, and it reveals to us why we should proclaim our future being in Jesus. Those are our three points today. We need to see very clearly why we should place our, put our focus on Jesus, why we should place our faith in Jesus, and lastly, why we should proclaim that our future is found in Jesus Christ alone. So first, go with me to verse number one as we consider why we should put our focus on Jesus, it says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being on the same mind, of the same mind, and having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. As we read the text in Philippians, we must consider that Paul does not give any details about the birth of Jesus. Paul leaves that to Matthew and Luke. Uh, he, he allows us to see uh, the, the backstory of the text, though. It's not simply uh, what's happening in the manger. Paul takes us back to the place where we see what happened uh, before the baby went to the manger. Verse 5 says again, Have this mind among yourselves, which is, is yours in Christ Jesus, who, catch this, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. When you read verses 5 and 6, two things should jump out to us. First of all, that Jesus was in the form of God. When you think about this, the form refers to a Roman stamp. Uh, Back in the day, a government official would always sign a document by having hot wax put on a piece of, of documentation, and then they will put the ring with the, with the emperor's insignia to press on the document. And then pressing into the document, you will see the exact representation of the insignia on the ring. Here's what Paul is communicating. Paul is telling us that Jesus is the precise representation of God. In other words, Jesus, the pastor is telling us that Jesus is exactly God. The word equality comes from the Greek word isos. This is the word we get the isosceles triangle from. It has two equal sides. The word means equal in size, quality, and character. Here's what the passage is communicating to us. 
Jesus was equally God, but Jesus was also eternally God. In every way, Jesus Christ is God. The scripture tells us that he did not have to cling to a quality because he possessed it to the point that Jesus was uh, willing to become a man. He was willing to become a man, even though in becoming a man, he did not cease to be God. When you think about it, Jesus became, becoming a man did not require subtraction. He was God in fullness. There was no division. In his godhood, he, he made room for his manhood. I want you to see it from this perspective. Jesus was the perfect mix of deity and humanity. He was fully God and fully man. When Jesus became a man, when Jesus was born a man, there was no subtraction, there was no division, but there was, there was no subtraction or division, but there was addition. Jesus took on our human nature. He took on a nature that, he, that we have never seen before. I want you to catch this. Paul, in communicating it this way, is taking us pre-manger. And he's reminding us that the greatest miracle that has ever taken place is that God took on our humanity. The, cre the creation of the world is a phenomenal miracle. Uh, the parting of the Red Sea was a phenomenal miracle. Jesus walking on the water was a phenomenal, phenomenal miracle. But the greatest miracle that you and I could ever experience is God becoming a man. I want you to see this very clearly, that Jesus is not a man amongst men. Jesus is not just the greatest among the greats. Jesus Christ specifically is fully God. If the FBI had fingerprints of Jesus, they essentially would have the fingerprints of God. And until we, until we appreciate the godness of God and the godness of Christ, would not celebrate and appreciate what happened in the manger. Verse 7 says, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. When Jesus got uh, on the ladder of humanity, he started on the lowest rung possible. When Jesus came, he made a decision to come in the most humble and subservient way possible. Most people were expecting this conquering king um, who would not be an ordinary man. He would not be a servant. He would have people serve him. But God and his goodness and his grace and God in his amazing way of showing up in our lives says, I'm going to do it another way. He comes in the midst of our humanity. He comes as a servant. And I love the example of Christ because it goes against everything that we are taught in our current uh, American culture. Here you have one who owns it all. Here you have one who is sovereign and in full control. Here you have one who is absolutely in total control of everything. He is very God of very God. He is the one who, who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. He is in total control, but yet he owns nothing. You look at Jesus' life. He borrowed everything. He borrowed a place to be born. He borrowed a place to sleep. He borrowed a boat to cross the sea. He borrowed a donkey to ride in town. He borrowed a room for the Last Supper. He even had to borrow a tomb. Jesus lived his life willing to borrow things because his focus was on ministry. 
When I say that, I want you to hear me say very clearly, when I say Jesus was focused on ministry, I'm not referencing uh, those who preach in the pulpit. I'm not referencing just those who travel across seas uh, to do missions work. When you look at the text, Jesus is reminding us that he had a ministry mindset. His focus was on serving others. His focus was on ministry, not money. His focus was on ministry, not not manipulating people. His focus was on ministry. And catch this, that is what our focus should be too. When it says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, the text is encouraging us and inviting us to have the same mindset that Jesus possessed. So even before we get into our application this morning, I've got to ask the question. As we look back over 2019, how focused were we on ministry? How focused were we on serving others, on equipping others, on impacting others, on encouraging others? How many late nights, how many, how many hours of sleep did we miss because of ministry? Not because of TV, not because I'm chasing a dollar, not because I'm doing what I want to do, but how many, how many sacrifices have I made for ministry? As we get ready for 2020, I know uh, some of you guys are just looking forward to just a couple of restful days at the crib. I am too. Hope you catch a couple Christmas movies, and I hope you kick your feet up and you enjoy some really delicious food. I hope that you have a great time with family, and I hope in Jesus' name, this is the greatest Christmas you've ever had. But I want to challenge you with this. I want to challenge you before the new year, I want you to cut the TV off. I want you to put the cell phone down, and I want you to have a family meeting, and I want you to consider two questions. I want you to consider, number one, what will be your ministry focus for 2020? What areas of ministry will you and your family focus on in 2020? That's a question for everybody. Second question is, what are you willing to sacrifice so that you can focus on more ministry in 2020? I want you to ask those questions, but I also want you guys to hold each other accountable to the answers of those questions. I'm not trying to be funny. I don't care about you posting it. I don't care about you tweeting it. I really don't even care about you sharing it with other members of the church. But I want you to be accountable to it. The same way you would be accountable to somebody in your family if they did not take a bath or if they did not brush their teeth. And you would say something to them about it, right? I want these questions to be something that we consider. Now, now I can even hear some pushback from the room because, thankfully, our church is small enough where I know our people, right? I can hear some people saying, dude, you tripping. Like, it's not about all that. I'm not in full-time ministry. I haven't been to seminary. Like, that's just too much. I love that the passage answers us when it says, Jesus was made in human likeness. Jesus was exactly like us. He was, he was not just uh, some spirit person, but Jesus was fully human as well. And he lives a life where he becomes a man so that he can give us an example for how men and women should live our lives today. When the passage encourages us to let this mind be in us that was also in Christ Jesus, we have an example of how a man or a woman should be able to live our lives. We have an example for how Jesus was willing to live a life, catch this, that was focused on not being exalted, 
but he lived a life that was focused on being humble and submissive to the will of his father. So first, to appreciate the meaning of the manger, first we must put our focus on Jesus, but secondly, to appreciate the meaning of the manger, we must place our faith in Jesus. Verse number eight says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Jesus is the only human ever born who did not have to die. But he came as a human so he could die. Jesus humbled himself. And really that's an understatement because he went from sitting on a throne to lying on a manger to hanging on a tree to not having a crown. He went from having diapers to have being falsely accused so that you and I could have an eternal life in heaven with him forever. It's important for us to understand that Jesus came to live in such a way so that you and I could have life. Jesus is essentially saying with his life and his obedience and his commitment to us that, his, that, that our eternal life was more significant and important than what he had to suffer in his earthly life. He's saying that, that his play, leaving his place in heaven was more important because you and I needed to have a place in heaven with him forever. The reason why we place our faith and our hope in Jesus is because Jesus could have pulled uh, the God card where he demanded his rights. He demanded people serve him. He demanded people follow him, but he's willing to humbly give his life away. It's amazing when you think about what happened on the cross. It, it is a challenge to us that Jesus willingly died. He willingly was obedient. The father did not have to force him. The father did not have to coerce him, but he was willing to submit his will to the father. God became a human just like us so that he can die for us so that you and I could have a life with him forever. And I love it because the cradle without the cross is incomplete and the cross without the cradle is ineffective. When you think about it, Jesus is the greatest Christmas gift. The gift of Christmas is bigger than a day. It's bigger than a holiday. It's bigger than a few days off. The gift of Christmas is the gift of eternal life. It's the gift of eternal life, but it's also the gift of a purposeful life. So to see this, Jesus came to die for our sins, but, but we also need to understand that since Jesus came to die for our sins, the response that we give is a life lived for him. Jesus came to die so that you and I are willing to live. Jesus came to put his life down so that he could pick our life up. Jesus catched this, spent his life doing two things, obeying God's word and serving others. And that's why verse 5 says, have this mind among yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have this mind in yourself, obeying God and serving others. Have this, mind in, have this mindset uh, that controls your life, obeying God and serving others. When we hear that, it's pretty, pretty quick that we're going to buck against that. Like, I can't do that. To be fully obedient to God? Preacher, are you, are you expecting me to be perfect? Preacher, are you expecting me to do something that I cannot do? 
preacher, that, that, is, that is too high of a calling. Like, don't, don't put that on me. That's what some of us are thinking right now. And I want to agree with you to be obedient to God and to always be concerned about others is impossible without God. It's impossible to be done in your own strength. It's impossible to be done without first, catch this, submitting to the Holy Spirit. When I submit myself to God, I'm able to do things because I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit that I cannot do without the Holy Spirit. To be obedient to God and to serve others is impossible without God, but but to be obedient to God and to serve others is possible with God. We would like to get to the point to where we can just uh, kind of write this passage off, but it really is challenging us whether or not we have fully surrendered and submitted ourselves to the Lord. We are not God, but we can submit to God and we can be gracious to God. We can be gracious like God. We are not heavenly, but when we submit to God, we can be humble. We are not sovereign and in control, but when we submit to God, we can be servants. We, when we submit to God, we can follow the example of God when we are willing to submit ourselves to the Lord. The question is, have I gotten to a place in my life, and this is the sermon for me, where Thomas, are you willing to submit yourself to the Lord? Thomas, you will never be like Christ. You will never be humble. You will never be gracious. You will never be a servant. You will never be patient until you submit yourself to Christ. So, so here's another idea as we enter 2020. How about we give people permission to speak truth to us in love when they see us being unwilling to submit ourselves to Christ? How about as a church body, we are more committed to being bold and speaking truth to those who are not willing to fully submit to Christ? Not in a way where we are pointing a finger in, in judgment, but in a way where we are holding others accountable to the mindset that the passage encourages us to possess. I love it because it really reminds me of James when it says that faith without works is dead. Essentially, the passage is communicating that faith that, that does not transform a life is not the kind of faith that will save your life. And as your pastor, I'm not real concerned about the faith on Sunday, right? Like, y'all look so wonderful today. Y'all looking good. Y'all excited. I'm sure some folks are going to leave here today and go get some good food together. I'm sure we're going to have some great holiday posts. I'm going to get some wonderful Merry Christmas pastor text. Hint, hint. I'm, 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 I love all those things. I love all those things. All those things are great. But if I'm honest, I'm not really concerned about how you live on Sunday or how we live when we're at 295 Tallahassee Road. I'm not really concerned about when we're together as a church family. I'm concerned more about when we leave the four walls of the church, when we break the huddle. Like, what impact is your faith having on your life personally? Like, what impact is your life having when times are tough? What impact is your faith having when you don't get your way? Like, what impact is your faith having when things are stressful and overwhelming in your life. Um, I was talking to a friend who recently had a stress test. And the thing about a stress test, they, they do it to check the condition of your heart. They put you on a treadmill, and they, they, they put the incline on, and they 
put the speed on, and they want to they want to stress your heart. They want to see how your heart responds to hard times. As your pastor, I want to see your heart in hard times. It's easy when when things are good. When, you know, music is good and, you know, Chris and, and, and the crew is up here singing and we're having a good time and we're eating good food and life is good at work and all those things are cool. But what happens when the stress happens? Like, how, like how, what, what is the stress in my life revealing about the condition of my heart? And as a, as a body, we want to be healthy, right? Like, we don't want to just have an exterior that looks good, and we don't want to just have our common Christian responses ready to go, that I'm blessed and highly favored in heavenly places and everything is great, and I don't really go to deep places. We need to be uh, willing to see that, that people are struggling, and people are having hard moments, and in those moments, we're revealing what's really going on in our heart. And I really do believe this, that faith should impact the health of my heart. Not just what comes out of my mouth. So first, to appreciate the meaning of the manger, we must put our focus on Jesus. Secondly, to appreciate the meaning of the manger, we must place our faith in Jesus. And then lastly, to appreciate the meaning in the meaning of the manger, we must proclaim our future in Jesus. I want you to hear me clearly this morning. It is great that we can celebrate the baby in the cradle. And we ought to be grateful for the Savior who died on the cross. We ought to rejoice that Jesus came back from the dead. But we also need to see that Jesus got off that cross, that Jesus got out of that throne, got out of that, that empty tomb. And Jesus now has a place in our life where he is calling the shots. Jesus has a place in our life now where he is not the baby in the manger who's cute and cuddly, but he is the Lord of our lives. In verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. In light of, it says, Therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus was willing to go low, he was willing to, to humble himself, the scripture is telling us that he is going to be exalted. The very name of Jesus is, is not very exclusive. The pastor says that God has given Jesus the name that is above every name. That name by itself is not very exclusive. That name by itself is not very, um, is not very um, uncommon. Uh, we know plenty of, of Jesuses. We know plenty of um, Jesuses, right? We know plenty of people who, who have that name. The name itself is not significant. But when you look at the text in context, the name that is significant is the name the Lord. Jesus is his earthly name. The Lord is his eternal name. Jesus is his human name. The Lord is his heavenly name. Jesus is the, the, the name of the Redeemer, but the Lord is our ruler. Jesus was a human. He came to relate to us, but he died as a savior so he could redeem us, but now so that he can rule over us. That's the part of the gospel we don't want to get to. That's the part of the gospel that we don't want to, we don't want to consider. It's the, the ruling aspect of the Lord that we don't want. We love that baby in the manger. We love the fact that he is cute and kind and humble and he came. And we think about the nativity scene and all that's great. But we got to get to the place where we see him as the Lord and ruler of our lives. Verse 10 says, so that 
at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. When you bow a knee, you are surrendering to someone. When you bow a knee, you are exalting someone. When you bow a knee, you are confessing that this person is greater than who, who you, greater than you are. Verse 11 says, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to say this very clearly. The text is giving us a prophecy here. Every tongue means every tongue. Every atheist tongue, every agnostic tongue, every angelic tongue, every demonic tongue, every human tongue, whether they are a believer or not, will confess that Jesus is Lord. When we think about it from that perspective, we need to be challenged. Are we living in light of the baby in the manger? Or are we living in light of the Lord? Are we living in light of the ruler? Are we living in light of the one who has full control to call the shots and to make decisions for our life? One of the best things about Jesus is this. Yes, he is our Lord. Yes, he is our master. Yes, he is our redeemer. But when you think about it, he earned the right. It's not by coincidence. He paid, a, he paid a payment so that you and I could have life. There's a story told, and I'll close with this. Christian, come on back up. We're finished this morning. There's a story told um, by a doctor named Dr. Maltz. And Dr. Maltz uh, had a patient who was uh, faced with a terrible, terrible injury. The young man actually went into a burning home, and he tried to save his parents from a fire. True story. Um, he was injured to the point where his face was unrecognizable, and unfortunately, his parents died. The story continues where the face was so unrecognizable that the plastic surgeon, Dr. Maltz, heard about what was going on, and he submitted um, an opportunity to do this groundbreaking surgery. He knew that most surgeons wouldn't take it. Most surgeons wouldn't even deal with it. But he wanted to do something to help the family. The man was so broken. He was so, he was so overwhelmed by everything that happened that he made a decision. He said, you know, I want to just live as a recluse for the rest of my life. Um, he had some poor theology. He thought that God had punished him and that God really loved him and that God would not have, God would have spared his parents and God would not have allowed his face to be burned so bad. So it continues that his, his wife is so broken, is so upset about what happened. And in the midst of the recovery, he refuses to see anybody. He even refuses to see his wife. So his wife hears about Dr. Maltz and his, and his uh, extreme ability to do surgery. And she goes to him and says, I know my husband will not accept the surgery, but why don't you disfigure my face like his face? Like, why don't you do to me what happened to him so that he can have someone to connect with, so that he can have someone to love him, so that he can have someone to share with him? Dr. Moss was so moved by the story. He was so moved by this gesture that he goes to the man. He tells him the story. And he says, sir, she loves you. She cares about you. So much so that she's willing to be disfigured just to show you how much she loves you. When I think about that story, it reminds me of Christ. 
that, that Christ loves us so much that he was willing to be disfigured for us. He was willing to be broken and beaten for us. He was willing to do something for us that we did not deserve. It's easy for us to see that baby in the manger and think about all the Christmas gifts and Christmas toys and all that's going to happen in the next couple of days. And I pray that this is a wonderful Christmas. But as you prepare for this Christmas, I want to challenge you to give two gifts. I want to challenge you to give two gifts, not this Christmas, but I want to challenge you to give two gifts for the rest of your life. The first gift I want to challenge you with is this. I want to challenge you to give the gift of living humbly. When I say living humbly, I'm saying, well, we are willing to submit our lives to Christ. Well, we are willing to live in a way that honors Christ, in a way that is a blessing to others. So that's the first gift I want to challenge you with. I want to challenge you with how you live your life. And I want to encourage you to live it humbly. And secondly, we don't want to hear this, but I want to challenge you to die empty. I want to challenge you to live your life in such a way where you are daily emptying yourself of your pride, of your ego, where you're emptying yourself to the point to where you are willing to give your life away to others. It's been said that the richest place in the world is the graveyard because most people die full. They die not writing a book. They die not starting a business. They die not creating the research. They, they die without giving God their best. I want to add to that this morning. To me, the graveyard is one of the richest ministry fields because people die not starting their Bible study. We die not doing discipleship. We die not having a hard conversation. We die not living in a way where we are concerned about how we can impact and influence others for the kingdom of God. So as we close this morning, two gifts. Won't cost you nothing. Well, won't cost you nothing financially but it'll cost you everything. Because essentially, that's what Jesus wants. He doesn't just want you to have this casual, comfortable relationship. But a relationship with Jesus is a relationship that is marked by full surrender. So two Christmas gifts. Live humbly, die empty.